What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Fractal Exploratorium. I am your host, DJ Brule, and I'm joined again by a special guest, Dylan Westbrook. I'm also joined by my friend and audio engineer, Nick Tantillo. There's no need to yell. <laughs> Just kidding. You should keep doing what you're doing, but I'm drunk. So what's up, everybody? Oh! Drunk friend and audio engineer, Nick Tantillo. At least I, got <laughs> I did not get in. Uh, oh, brother. I, I didn't get an intro. No, no, you, <laughs> at least you got an intro this time, yeah, so that, that's better than nothing. I'll shut up now that we're on. Like, so so um, we're, live. we're going to talk about a little more about the last episode. So we already had an episode with Dylan where we went over kind of where he's lived, what he's done, and what he's been doing over the past five years or so. And yeah. Dylan has a lot of uh, real-world experience out in travels, out in his travels, yeah, absolutely, man. Been traveling, well, just this country pretty much um, and uh, having a lot of fun and working a lot of different places. I'm already going to start to interject, so let's just make this a good episode while we can. Uh, something that's interesting about Dylan that I feel like is actually true, though, in relation to travel is when you do go out and just put yourself into the world, sort of like Dylan has done in the past couple of years, no matter how much you think you know what you're going to experience, how much you think you have things under control, how much you think you understand maybe the steps you might take when you're in another city to meet friends or make ends meet, I don't think you know those things until you actually do them. And so I think that you really do truly have that experience that no one really does have because you had to go out there and not only think about it, but you exactly. had to actually do it. For sure. Absolutely. Um, a lot of times I didn't know what I was going to get myself into. Right. I mean, you know, going out in the middle of nowhere, working at places that, you know, you, you'd go and I'd end up there at, uh, midnight, you know, and, uh, stumble in and there'd be like, you know, <laughs> it'd be dark, kind of weird setting. And I'm like, well, is this the place I want to be freaking working at for the next six months? I don't know. But see, it's, a, it's that experience with the unknown that really gets you prepared for what's out there. Exactly. Exactly. It's an it's an interesting thing that you it's like a roll of dice. You never know what the heck's gonna happen. Well, now. and the thing is, we have a society where all of us play it so safe all the time. We're all so used to just exactly. living in the suburbs for you know the majority of us. Yep. And we're used to this kind of linear uh, lifestyle that you know doesn't have many surprises in exactly. it. Exactly. And what you did kind of gave you a lot of experience dealing with kind of dealing with things when things go wrong, you know, when, yeah. when it's a snafu moment. Exactly. Trials and tribulations of life. Yeah. So in, in the last episode, we got to talk a lot about your trip to California, living in Colorado, uh, living in Minnesota. But what I really wanted to touch on and talk kind of more in detail on, we didn't get time for, was your experience living in Fairbanks, Alaska. Yes, um, I lived up in Fairbanks uh, about well, as actually sixty, about fifty six miles to the northeast of Fairbanks, a place called Chino Hot Springs. I believe I talked about this in the last episode. A little bit, yeah, a little bit. You but did, I but I kind, of the, I kind of wanted to touch more on the yes. weather situation because you went in the middle of winter for sure. I did. And I when, went off in November, and the when, when there's eternal darkness there, yep. that's what I was going to ask. Like. I know that Alaska, when you ever, whenever you hear about it as a normie, 
so they say <laughs> you always think about the fact that there's like no night or no day or whatever it is at the time of year exactly. so is that real it is real it depends on what part you're at if you are above the arctic circle then yes it will be complete dark for um about two and a half months if you're in fairbanks which two is and below a half months. the well, yes completely dark from i believe it's from december to a part of february so as in it is actually dark that like it, it looks like it is outside like yes like, 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 like the sun is below the horizon outside, yes like the sun's like below com- the horizon exactly completely dark so so it never gets true light on those parts so my question is twofold the first and i don't want to like put this off the rails immediately nah. depressed people maybe people with like actual problems Oh, for sure. I feel like that's a big problem. Never seeing daylight, right? So I feel like maybe in Alaska, there's, before you answer, like maybe in Alaska, there's some kind of extra right of people that have problems or something like that. Because I think that could be a big problem, not being able to see light for like two months. And And then secondly, how do you like, how do you operate under those, you know, circumstances? Like, it's, it's just unbelievable that there's no light. So you go out during the day. You have to go work. You have to do all these things. And, you know, I think subliminally our mind exactly. tells us when it's dark, we're For going sure. to bed. But you exactly. have to train yourself not to believe that. Well, you know, and a lot of people live in these kind of situations that we don't even know about on a day-to-day basis, you know, in all different countries. But, you know, if you if you live anywhere in the north or the far extreme south, you're going to have those those periods of darkness and brightness. Because we don't realize it living here where we do. You know, when you live near the equator or the, you know, Tropic of Cancer, whatever the case may be, we don't realize what it's like for other humans. So anyway, up there, yes, it's, it's, it can be very dark, be very bright, but in the winter, it's dark. Um, and when you're in Fairbanks, where I was at Chena Hot Springs, it was about, well, I'd say there's probably a good th- maybe three hours of sunlight max and when i say sunlight i don't mean how it is here in phoenix arizona with the sun out during winter i mean it is below the horizon but you see the light but you can't feel the sun and it's very dark and uh, you know it just it's it's just feels like you're trapped like kind of like ah shit i want this sun you know it's <laughs> like i need some sun in my life and so what what people do is um, there's different ways to escape this. Now you can you can take vitamin D, which is always suggested. You always want to take vitamin D as much as possible. Um, it helps with a lot of things like with depression and um, 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 I don't know. I think it does something for the blood. I can't remember exactly what it is. But there's also another thing called like Alaskan Happy Light, where people get vitamin D like the like from the rays of the sun through this light that people have like it's like a lamp and you turn it on and it provides you with uv rays and it gives you the feel like you just sat in the sun so almost like a tanning bed but yeah exactly yeah it's reminded me of yeah yeah it's like a little mini tanning bed you know but you don't get in it So, Dylan, yeah. similar to the next question he asked, what I was going to ask is how does that kind of affect your natural circadian rhythm going to a place like that that's dark that many hours of the day? It affects you. And first, explain what that means. Circadian rhythm is your natural sleep schedule. So, Boom. Uh, what, <laughs> how you naturally want to sleep. We, we, we do um, 
what was called a block sleep. So we sleep for one long period of time, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is really just in creation of a social economic construct. Gotcha. I mean, that's essentially the block schedule. Uh, some people subscribe to what's called polyphasic. That's something I tried, but that's a discussion for another podcast. Our main circadian rhythms, kind of what we're attuned to, is the blot schedule where we sleep from, you know, nine hours, eight hours of sleep at night at one certain time. And the sun is kind of what drives the natural circadian rhythm that we have. You know, it turns nighttime, you get tired, and you want to go to sleep, which is why people who work like graveyard shifts have a sleep, screwed up sleep schedule. So I was wondering, you know, without the sun to wake you up and stuff, and you just, you wake up and it's still night out, and you, you go around all day and it's still nighttime, like, what does that kind of do to your natural circadian rhythm from living here? Um, it took it took a little while to adjust to that, you see. Uh, and it got worse as the time went on. But I would say that, you know, you just have to adjust. You just... You just, I mean, it's hard. You just get used to it. Your body will eventually get used to it. But obviously I was working and keeping, keeping busy with what I was doing. So I wouldn't really, I, I you'd wake up and it'd be dark. So it's a similar and the sun to like, wouldn't come out until about 1030. Is it similar to like getting jet lagged? If you leave yes. from a place that's dark oh, and you come home sure. and it's still you dark because you follow the dark. Yeah. Exactly. You always feel like, yeah, you feel like drag, like, you know, like you're just, I don't know, like dre- you know, dreary and dragging kind of like, uh, you know, it's like, it's always the same. Like you just get stuck in this eternal night, night time feel, you know, like you just feel tired. You just feel tired and it's exhausting. Um, and you know, I mean, I, I don't know if it's different for everyone else, but if you were born and raised in that, I'm sure you would, it would affect you differently. And one thing that kind of surprised me about you living in Alaska, you showed me a video of you driving around the town, and it looked like a normal town. It wasn't what you know yeah. what I suspected Alaska to be. I, was, I suspected it was more like wilderness and wild, but it was a lot more civilized than I expected. Exactly. Fairbanks, Alaska is the second largest city in all of Alaska. First is Anchorage. Second is Fairbanks. Third is Juneau. Fairbanks is just like how a flagstaff here in arizona or whatever you know um like a a ski town would be like um and they have all the main necessities of life there because it's on the highways um major airport it's got all the things there that connect it to modern civilization but it's is it far away enough from civilization where things got to be trucked in and it's a little more expensive to buy like groceries oh for sure but there's a walmart yeah, because you, you see the, you see <laughs> the show Ice Road Truckers, and that's what you think all the towns exactly are like. You, you think that it's a treacherous route to get into any of the towns during the winter. Exactly, and that's what it may feel if you've never really been up there. Um, but if you see that, that's mostly on the slope. Like it's all north, north, north. Okay, so none of that's like Fairbanks. Fairbanks, Fairbanks is, is still the they don't woodsy, it's not as treacherous of a route, route to get to. Uh, it is. I mean, yeah, it's danger, you know, driving up the through the Denali, and um, you know, it's pretty pretty wild. But mm, you could fly there from Anchorage. You know, within forty five minutes, you're there. It's only a forty five minute flight. Yeah. Do you guys want to know something crazy that I learned today? 
So I was recording audio for a <laughs> brand product, cleaning product shoot. I don't really know how to explain it, but we were over at the Scottsdale Air Park, which for people listening that maybe aren't from here, it's the, you know, airport that's in Scottsdale. It's kind of like corporate airport, whatever. We grew up by it. And to, to us, I feel like the, the Scottsdale Air Park is normal. Like we yeah. see it all the time when we just go down Greenway or oh, there's the Scottsdale or yeah, there's the airport and it's not anything like, you know, the big international airport, Sky Harbor, you know, for people listening that have been there, it's nothing like that. What I'm getting at is I was shooting this thing on the tarmac today and they were telling me this cool fact that the Scottsdale air park, that Scottsdale airport is the most busy corporate airport in the entire nation yeah i'm not surprised because every yeah, damn day it. all times of the day i hear those damn it's Lear crazy jets. it's crazy There's because all like, the oh i know this is a little bit different than what we were talking about the last airports and you know how to get you know to get there and stuff but it's just really mind-boggling to me but it makes total sense because phoenix and scottsdale are one of the biggest like markets in in america and when we talk about our sports teams we're considered a small market yet we're phoenix is like top 10 in populations that's crazy and then the second part of that is that it's true you know when i was there mm. just sitting in the lobby of the flight school or whatever you know you see so many i hate to say it but like rich looking people yeah in that lobby just in they i know that yeah, they have like private planes and mm-hmm. like they're literally i had no idea yeah i didn't know that there was this class of yeah. people that not only can they drive places, but they literally just can hop well, on their fucking plane, fly well, yeah. to Arizona, exactly. get off, and then they're waiting for well, Uber, Uber in the, the thing. Like, it was crazy. Yeah, you didn't realize it's, there it's was... It's like the second no, Los Angeles, it, you know? It was ridiculous. I mean, they, they, were, at, they were eating popcorn. <laughs> I'm not lying. They were all eating popcorn from, like, the airport, whatever... They were all had things of popcorn. And this one, <laughs> this one lady was like, "Hey, like, save your appetite for lunch and stuff." And then they got picked up by like a, an Uber XL fucking nice ass car, <laughs> and and dipped out into Scottsdale. And Very I heard, I overheard them talking about how they flew from a different state. And I don't even think they live in Arizona. It's just crazy to think well, that Scottsdale and Arizona, where we live, yeah, literally where we are right now, recording this podcast, a couple miles down the road, there's the biggest, you know, corporate. airport in america and then we talk about alaska and it's so much more remote like (laughs) just the diversity in america is crazy for sure i mean scottsdale airport has um a lot of things happening there so i mean you know all the people that have a lot of money you know they fly in and out on their corporate jets they have that and net jets and all those things that fly in here that have roots here I look it up all the time on flightaware.com that there, I see so many flights coming in and out of Scottsdale. It blows my mind. I'm like, what the hell? Yeah, that's that's one of the things you know, you're really interested in is airplanes. Yeah, because you, you were telling exactly. me about that app you look at where you see what kind of planes are flying overhead and where I they do, are at yeah. all times. <laughs> yeah, I like that a lot. Really, it's called flightaware.com. If anybody wants to check it out, it's a really really cool. Uh, website. I don't know if it's an app. They might have one, but anyway. Yeah, it, was, it was really interesting to see all the places the airplanes yeah. avoid like the plane. Yeah, oh, for sure. <laughs> These countries, they go completely yes. around because they just can't fly over. Yes, Afghanistan uh, is definitely one of them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the, the places you don't want to fly your commercial jet. But Anyway, yeah, you can go on there and you can track any flight 
across the whole world. And you can go in there and you all, it's a big map that shows you all the live and active flights. It even shows you past and everything. You can click on a plane and it'll show you everything about it, who it's owned by, what its routes have, have been in the past, where it's going now, where it will be in the future. You can check how many miles it's flown. It's a really impressive. It's you really, can see really, all really the really cool. A380s that are over UAE. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. They all are. A380, Airbus A380s yeah. are very popular. United Arab Emirates is what has yeah. the majority of those. Oh, uh, yeah. They love those bad boys out there. Those are some people haulers. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, Dylan, it's the biggest commercial Damn jet in, in service right now. It is. It is. It is. Carries like 400 people or something absolutely ridiculous. Insane amount of people. Yeah, airplanes are a another huge. And, and speaking love of private of planes, Nick, they got this like the A380 uh, in Emirates. They have this special flight ticket where it's like in it's like twenty thousand dollars or something absolutely outrageous. It's called like the. the the condo or the suites or something yeah, like yeah, that. Like, like yeah, yeah, like the suites. It's on and, oh my Etihad God, like, or something. It's on I, Etihad or... Uh, I don't know, but I, I watched a video of some guy showing what that ticket involved and freaking you get your own yeah, like, bed. Yeah, I watched that one too, actually. <laughs> you get your own bed and everything. Very crazy, yes. I mean, if the unit's not next to you to combine the two units and yeah. I guess the hotel room in the sky. You know, I guess it starts out with you join when you walk in. They take you right into the little like, you know, the suite area. Like you know, they take you right into that little lounge. Was you know? it you that told me about that guy who got free food? Yeah. Out of it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to explain that story? It was a really interesting story. Um. Well, I mean, I, I can't remember his name, but he's got his own YouTube channel where he literally goes around and experiments and gets you know paid to go fly on all these different airlines and review them and like review everything about their service the seats you know and how the flight is and everything like that and he goes on there and like they just treat him like a king the whole time i mean literally you get your own private butler tickets like twenty thousand or something outrageous thirty thousand something like that for one, let's mention for one flight, one flight, and he was only on it for like I think like fourteen, twelve hours. But maybe? I'm saying, was he the guy that was would cancel, reschedule a flight, and would continue just using the VIP area? Oh no, I don't think I was talking about. Was that it one. was it not you, the one talking about that story? I don't think so. Well, it was this guy who did that exact thing? He bought one of those crazy expensive tickets. And the ticket gives you access to like your own entrance in the terminal, where you get like oh. these free the foods all out and everything. And no, I've seen one you where could, you could eat this crazy expensive food. And this guy, what he kept doing is he just kept rescheduling his plane ticket and showing up to the VIP place, <laughs> eating the food, and just kept rescheduling it for like an entire year. What? And just like ate for free in there because he would just reschedule Are you his serious his VIP ticket and then just you know returned it. And never, never went oh. on the flight. <laughs> That's freaking insane. Just like played the played the oh system totally. God. What a bastard! <laughs> Very interesting. No, I don't think that's the one I. I but saw. but anyway. anyway, if we want to go back to Alaska, I would like to uh, yeah, ask you a little bit about uh, the other place you lived in there, Valdez. Well, yeah, I worked for this 
a company called Peter Pan Seafoods. I always wanted to, you know, try to make some money and go up there and, you know, work for the fish canneries. And I looked on cool a lot. I love fishing. You we talked about fishing. it in the last podcast. Oh, yeah, but right. I love fishing. Fish, <laughs> fishing is we great. We did talk about it. But you've done a lot fishing. more. Of it. I've done a lot fishing more of it. I've, got, I've gotten a lot more tactical, a lot more strategic. <laughs> I, I have a good. lot of lures. I know when to fish for, for certain fish and like where to. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, keep going. Um. Well, anyway, it's a place called Peter Pan Seafoods in Valdez, Alaska. I applied for it on CoolWorks.com. Remember, I told you guys about CoolWorks.com. You can check it out. Got all the states, national parks, wherever the country would like to work. Um, went there and uh, f- had a you know contract for two months where you stay there and you get, get get your spot in housing. And I was housed with these other dudes. I was like, I think I had like four other roommates. One kid was from Poland, two of them from Utah, and another kid was from Arkansas. So Very so it, it was group. it was a it's a big uh, fish and oil port, right? Yeah, oh yeah, exactly. Exxon Valdez, noticeable, uh, or sorry, very recognizable name. Um, back in the 80s, there was a big tanker that uh, crashed and spilt a lot, a lot of oil in Alaska, and it wrecked a lot of things in the wildlife. And but it affected terrible. the fisheries pretty oh, adversely. Yeah, oh yeah, they literally like... <laughs> We're brought to a halt because. So are they still recovering terrible. from that? Still, oh, absolutely. They say that like, um, you know, every, a lot of things have recovered, but it's not true because I talked to the guy who was out there. I literally I met the guy who went out there and helped clean up, and he has a chunk of the Exxon Valdez. I got the hold a chunk of the hole from the Exxon Valdez outside of his shop there in Valdez. Dude, the hole is pretty thick said, for those tankers. Oh, it was probably about that thick. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe a little bit more. But, but four well, he's, inches. he's seeing, yeah, four, four or five inches. Huge. And he was like, I went out there and there's still oil. I dug down about maybe a foot and there's still a bunch of oil. So is it under that suit? Crazy. Under the soot? From 1980 something. Is it get under soot there? Like? Yeah, exactly. It's under all the soot. Yeah. It's under way underneath the sand near down there, you know, settling down well, about a foot down. And, there's and still sp- oil. And speaking about this, I was talking about the BP oil incident that happened. Oh, yeah. And I was reading an article that they found like mutant crabs from, from the oil. You know, they were... They were festering really? in in the soil, you know, and giving yeah. birth in them, and it causes these defects. And they oh. they they have like mutant crabs and mutant fish that they discovered down there. That's pretty scary. It'd be so cool to catch a mutant <laughs> fish. Yeah, yeah, you think Dude, that kinda, until no, you no, saw no. like what happened to them. Honestly, I kind of caught a mutant fish. Not gonna lie. Really? Where were you in Chernobyl? <laughs> uh no fish in, the, fish in the river <laughs> so i went to california i went to san diego california just mission beach this this summer and it was the first time that i did ocean fishing i had been a couple of times to you know various piers was that deep sea fishing no i i i, I went ocean fishing on my own i got on a lift i went to mission beach california We i just woke up one day and i was like hey i'm going i'm going fishing and my my buddies brought my poles and uh, I'd been fishing for a while at this point in time, and I've been wa- watching a lot of vlogs. And 
I knew that you could fish for like rock bass and like certain like really cool sand bass in the in the Bay of San Diego. So, so shoving those to tarfish, you should go for. Yeah, you could get that stuff off the 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 pier. I heard you actually caught. A shovel nose, like shark. No, or something. I caught a leopard shark. A leopard, that's incredible. I was I, fishing for a shovel nose. I would love to hear about that because that blows my mind in its own. Because I've watched, I've watched vlogs of people catching those sharks, and I, I want to do that. But th- I'll finish my story really quick. Like you know, I was going for sand bass, and we were in Mission Beach, and we had a, me and all my buddies every year we get a a condo on the beach, and we you know everybody gets really drunk, and it's it's a little bit childish to be honest, but. <laughs> <laughs> We, you know, I, I venture off a lot in those situations because I'm just a little bit different than everybody. And like, I can't do a full six days of being with all of them. Mm-hmm. And just like, I can't Trailblazer. do, oh, no, yeah, yeah I can't, I can't do like, I can't do like vodka, orange juices at 10 AM every single day. So one day, white claws I, all day long. I could do white claws anytime. So one day I just kind of ventured off and I went and got my fishing license for a day and I in, boy. in California and especially San Diego at the beach that I was at mission beach. I'm sure. A lot of you probably know it's one of the more yeah, famous boy. beaches, but when I was there, I, uh, I got my fishing license and started fishing in the bay and I caught a, a sand bass mixed with a calico and I posted it to this app called fish brain. A lot of people are on fish brain that fish, and every fish that I catch, I, f- I post to fish brain. I'll show you the picture um, right now on the podcast. It's bad radio. I know some podcasts that I listen to are like, oh, this is bad radio. We're you know, showing pictures on the show, but I'll show you guys. But yeah, it, it's a really weird looking mutant fish, and some guy on fish brain, which is this big app that everybody goes on, that he commented and he said, whoa, mutant fish. And then the, literally a day later, this other guy commented, and he's like, whoa, I've never seen a fish like that. Really? So wow. I And it was like my third cast of the day. I didn't catch anything for the next six hours. So I wow. literally, my third cast of my day caught basically a, a really weird kind of hybrid bass. Here you go. Uh-huh. Um, I posted it. It said, first Marley. ever ocean cache. It's kind of hard to see, but it's like this crazy. Whoa striped sand you can pass it around if you want but it's like a striped sand bass that is pretty crazy looking but but it's it's kind of small but oh it's crazy so i don't really know exactly what you guys are talking about and how it relates but you know mutant fish i think there's mutant animals everywhere and that kind of goes back to fractals right like i don't want to be stupid and kind of like i'm you know a little off the rails here but i feel like fractals we talk about how fractals repeat right well <laughs> the evolution of things could repeat like think about something like a fish like a sand bass that repeated so many times that there is like you talk about in so many episodes there's got to be a consistent random like piece that there there has to be more of well, these weird mutant it, fishes it, it, it that renders infinite complexity can uh, evolve out of a fractal depending on initial conditions. So, so potentially that sand bass makes the calico weird hybrid fish that I caught out of random. That could kind of be a representation of fractal, like, um, you know, uh, evolution. Well, the fractal is just a self-repeating pattern and, you know, evolution works that way. As I've talked about, uh, the DNA strand, the double helix structure, is a Fibonacci sequence, which is a fractal. So that in itself is extremely interesting. But if you ever looked at evolution, there is like a tree. 
you ever looked at that? It's a branches, you know, that branch off in branches that branch off from the branch. And there's a fractal that can be observed if you look at evolution over time and the infinite complexity that evolution can render. And the, the fact is, is that we, the ocean is a really good, um, kind of like a, 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 you know, the last bastion of exploration. I mean, we know of so little about the ocean more people have been to the moon than have been to challenger deep which is down yeah, in the marianas trench really literally more people have been to the moon well, yeah it's than down hard, hard challenger to get down there deep. if we want to change the even here on planet earth it's hard to get down there if we want to change the subject a little bit i mean it's not changing it too much i i found on hulu that they have shark week stuff that's just um repeated and like they they let you watch it right so I started watching Shark Week again because I love Shark Week. A lot of people talk shit about Shark Week. I really like Shark Week. I truly, no matter how corny it gets, like obviously the Michael Phelps versus Shark thing was super lame. (laughs) Uh, And like we all know how lame it can get, but then there's also episodes that really blow your mind. For sure. I just, yeah, I haven't watched it in a long time. There was this episode where they were trying to find sawfish because there's. You know, you could look at anybody that's listening, look up sawfish on the internet, and it's this super, like, prehistoric-looking fish. And I don't know if you guys have seen it, but seen it has, it. like, this crazy nose that looks, like, literally like a saw. I'll show you later. Oh, and, I probably have seen that, actually. And they, they're they bottom dwellers, but they, they dwell at the bottom of the ocean that, like, people can't reach without, you know, even scuba divers. There's somebody that died trying to go to this specific shipwreck to find sawtooth you know saw saw sh- whatever the fuck they're called saw sharks or whatever the fuck they're called you're talking about the prehistoric <laughs> saw shark that looks like it has a circle yeah. blade in the front of its nose sort of so basically long story short in the shark week episode they go down and i'm not even like concerned about the fish that's not what i'm getting at they go down for 50 they could the, the depth that they have to reach the depth is so far that that they have to spend like an hour and a half re um what is it called Deej when you have to come back up and re Deej. like um help Deej <laughs> but you have to sit in a pressure chamber yes otherwise you'll re- get the yes, bends yes they have to repressurize yeah, yeah they have to repressurize so they come up and they they come up so they go down they can go down within ten minutes. And they're, they have only, in this episode that I watched at least, they have only 15 minutes at the depth that they're at trying to search for So do fish. they do this in the wow. diving bell or are they open swimming? Open mm-hmm. swimming. So they have, they go down, they have a team of six people and they break up into two, two, and two. And they go up in like pairs just to make sure everything's safe. But it's just, what I'm getting at is crazy that they can only be at the depth that they're trying to search for these fish at, at the bottom of the shipwreck. So this is, super famous shipwreck maybe i'll throw it in the show notes if i could go look it up or something and they can only be down there for 15 minutes before they start getting like sick and stuff so the the crazy thing is that once they're down there they have to go up i see you but they have to go up and then they have to sit for 30 minutes they can go down in 15 minutes but they have to sit for 30 minutes they have to go up one more level sit for another 30 minutes go up one more level sit again and then they can go up. Yeah, so it's they like, have to yeah, depressurize correctly. Yeah, so I guess what I'm saying up. 
you guys were talking, you know, I've been going on rants this whole entire episode. Everybody that's listening is probably like, who the fuck is this kid? But you guys were talking about <laughs> the ocean and like, you know, unexpected things and whatnot. And I just think it's it's a fascinating thing to think that yeah. you could go down in 15 minutes, but then it takes you an hour and a half to safely get back up. Because yeah. the bends, your your blood and everything is being compressed, and then all of a sudden it's it spans back out. Okay, so the other one's a prehistoric. The the other saw shark I'm talking about. Okay, so I, I know what you're talking about. It looks like shark. a hedge trimmer. If you ever seen a hedge trimmer, exactly. It looks like a, it's not Literally a hedge trimmer. Exactly. Yeah. So okay, all, all this topics actually lead perfectly into my fun facts of the day, and now I got two of them because Nick started bringing up. These, you know, prehistoric fish. The first fun fact of the day, I like to talk about an animal that's uh, one of my favorite creatures of all time. And it's called the coelocanth. So the coelocanth is a fish that was presumed dead for 350 million years. Uh, It's as old as the Devonian period. And it was believed to have gone extinct a very long time ago until not that long ago, about 20 years ago or so, uh, a fisherman actually caught one of them what? and brought it on his boat and didn't know what it was wow. and brought it back. Scientists were like, oh, that looks similar to a lobe fin fish that we thought to be extinct called coelocanth. Wow. And this fish is what's called a, referred to as a living fossil. Because it was a fish that was presumed to be extinct until uh, we refound it. Just like the dinosaur fish is another fo- living fossil. What does it look like? Uh, the coelocanth? Uh. It's a, well, it's a lobe fin fish. Uh, if you, if you want to know what that means, it, it means they have these little like lobe-looking joints that connect to their fins. And it allows their fins to rotate in many different degrees. It gives them a lot of superior uh, maneuverability. Uh, they're pretty common fish, very successful. There's a lot of offshoots from coelocanth. Coelocanth is actually a close cousin to one of the uh, branches that went off to eventually evolve land's life in us. Interesting. I'm, I'm looking at it right now, and it looks. It says that it's 120 pounds. Yes, but it doesn't they, look they, like they it. Can when be you six see feet, it, it doesn't look like it. They can that. be six My feet God. long, and they six only live long. in is tiny little geographical regions it's not i feel like a lot of people that are thinking about this fish are not judging it the way that when i think of coelacanth and prehistoric this is not what i think of uh, what was it just like, like a normal fish to you or yeah i mean it's not just like a no i mean i guess it's a little different than a normal fish but it just doesn't seem like you know crazy like the sawtooth fish like that we're talking about you know earlier the sawtooth shark or whatever you guys mm. want to look at you'll find it as soon as you look it up it looks like a hedge trimmer like he said it's just so out of the ordinary this fish that i'm looking at on google right now the coelocanth yeah. just kind of looks like a fish i mean it has an extra set of fins it appears which is you know interesting but Man, it Very just looks weird. like a fish. I wonder how he caught it. But, but look how his tail fits into the the rest of its body. They made they made it. Yeah, it's like this tail's like the whole part of his body. They actually made a Pokemon after the coelacanth. Yeah, they did. It was actually really interesting. Yeah. But the the whole fact is, it was believed to be extinct, and it's actually four hundred and nine million years old. Whoa. 
Wow. So it's definitely a living fossil, extremely successful organism to have gone through all the sits, mass extinctions. I'm looking at it, a legit fossil on a rock right now on Google. And, and, it's, and it's that old, and, it, and, it's, and it's astonishing. So that's the first fun fact. I have another oceanic fun fact that I want to talk about. And that's cue a, that ding ding ding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cue cue the music for I guess twice. Uh, two two fun facts. Two times. So this fun fact, I want to talk about a place that's called uh, Point Nemo, which is a place out in the middle of the ocean that is the furthest from any piece of land. So. When you're out there, if you're out in the middle of this thing, yep. you're, you're at least 5,000 miles from any sort of landmass whatsoever, any island, anything. And a well, lot of races creepy. go past this, but a lot of people try not to go out there. Planes don't fly over this point. Uh, shipping lanes don't go through this point because it's just, if you get in trouble Sounds out there. Sounds like the Bermuda Triangle. Well, it's, it's, like it's, it's not the same thing. <laughs> and, and, and it's different, there's different geological events occurring and, and yeah. current happenings well, that are happening at this place. And where is it exactly? It's it's out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. So it, it's kind of over, if you had to look for a close landmass, you could look Easter Island is one of the things that's kind of close okay. to the region. It's, you know, the bottom tip of like uh, South America, okay, like Argentina yeah. and Chile. Okay. It's, t- it's kind of over in that area. Okay. And one of the things I wanted to talk about with it, and this is one Very of the most creepy, eerie things that gets me every time I go in the ocean, is a while back they recorded something called the bloop or the bleep from this area. And it was a... It, it was a subsurface phenomenon. It, it was a sound that was recorded by, you know, uh, sub-ocean, oceanic buoys that record sounds. They record acoustic sounds. And it was a sound that was way louder than, like, one of the most known sounds that happened. If you look it up, they have a recording of it, and... For it to oh, be audible, right. they had to slow it down, but it's one of the most eerie things I've ever heard in my life, and it came from this Point Nemo out in the middle of nowhere, and... Something out there floating around. Well, a, a lot of people got interested because they thought, oh, is this some sort of like sea monster, a massive creature, because it was louder, more audible than the blue whale, and Hiding it sounds organic in nature. Now... It's theorized, you know, scientists believe that it's something called calving of icebergs and ice shelves. And calving is when part of the ice shelf breaks off and it scrapes along the bottom of the seafloor. And this calving could, what they think could be the cause of the bloop, this loud sound that they heard. And it's highly debated still. I mean, you could say it's that, but there's no definitive evidence that it's because of iceberg calving because we have yet to hear the sound again. And you think the, cal- the conditions revolving around calving would reoccur. Happening. Oh, yeah, for and, sure. And that there, there would be more of this phenomenon yeah, going on. So, yeah, just something to think about when you're net deep in the ocean <laughs> and you're yeah. looking out at this massive body of water. Think about this loud noise that we picked up. Yeah. Re- really eerie knowing. to me. Yeah, not knowing what the 
what the hell that sound was. Well, especially since it's out in the middle of nowhere where there's yeah. no human inhabitants. No planes fly over, no one goes through. Buoy out there? Well, there, there's there's no buoys placed out there, but they're placed around. And remember, sound travels differently yeah. in water because of the density. So it could travel a lot farther and a lot louder. So if you ever go in like your pool and you hear the other person kicking around yeah. the other side like they're right next to you. Ugh. Or in the ocean, there's just like this clicking I sometimes yeah, hear. Yeah, right? exactly. There's tons Very of noises if you go in the ocean. The ocean is definitely a very eerie place for a lot of people. And a lot of things happen out there that are yet unexplainable. So that, that's it for the fun fact. But since we're on the topic of oceans, we, we might as well go to what we really wanted to talk about this whole time. And that's hurricane season. Yes. We just had a oh, hurricane season hurricane. that had me on the edge of my seat. <laughs> Same here, my friend. Same here. So me, me and Dylan. As a normie, what? As a normie, for people that don't really follow hurricane season as much as you guys do, I heard about so many hurricanes this year. It seemed like every other day that there was something popping up in my news feed where I was like, "Holy shit, the world's and blowing there was up!" And I really didn't. Atlantic. I was telling Pacific. DJ this earlier that. You know, he was getting kind of excited about hurricanes when I was like, yeah, it's kind of fucked up. But in the same way, a couple of years ago when I was at the house that we call The Mob, which was uh, this house that I, I lived at with a bunch of kids, literally just a bunch of college kids, I would turn on, there was this huge hurricane at the time, and I would turn on the Weather Channel and sit there for four hours and just watch hurricane coverage. And it, it is some of the most intriguing stuff. Well, it's like real. It's, it's, Im- it's unbelievable it's how exciting it is. It is exciting. But then at the same time, you're like, oh, shit, people are getting fucked up, but I love this. No, but you here's, know, the, thing, like, here's yeah. the thing. I don't, I don't feel bad because he built below sea level. <laughs> you kind of know what you're getting into when you yeah. build below sea level. Well, it's ridiculous. We should have learned from history that that's not exactly an intelligent move. No. We, we, it, the ocean it does not give a fuck about us where we are on land they don't care and i, I don't want i don't want people us. to suffer and have their houses taken away from them yeah. and them to be homeless and all but no, it, i'm also a, but a nature enthusiast yeah natural phenomenons like earthquakes volcanoes it's okay i'm fascinated by and i love sure. those things because it's just it's just the natural world doing its thing it, yeah and, and us in human arrogance to believe we could control it and, and be invincible instead of try to learn how to live around it and fra- this ties into fractal architecture just fractal architecture deals with uh looking at these hurricanes and other natural phenomenon and figuring out how to cohesively build a building so so dylan th- this hurricane that we are following uh hurricane what was it Dur- Dur- uh, dorian dorian this yes. is me and dylan were call each other every day with updates about oh, this thing yeah and i was watching this thing because i didn't i wasn't working at the time and i i had got back from costa rica and i was watching this thing and i remember them talking about it hitting uh, puerto rico but it never did it, screwed it, it never did us. but one thing about this hurricane is it became one of the strongest hurricanes ever to be in the atlantic yes and, i mean and, which is insane because oh my god you know, think and of all the hurricanes that have come. We were following it before it was even a Cat 1. Yeah. Yep. We watched it right as a tropical and depression. The thing is that's interesting is, I mean, the Brad, but me and Dylan, 
actually guessed it was going to be a Cat 5 before anyone thought it would even it be was, a Cat 4 tops. I, I remember it being an invest and going, uh-oh. That thing well, looks like it has potential We to looked do at the oceanic here. temperatures. Yeah. We, we looked, looked at the, the graph of temperatures, temperatures and exactly. I saw wild temperatures, like 87 degrees. Yeah, we were, we, we were watching these temperatures and we both, we both looked into the way. You know... DJ, they're saying this thing's going to be a cat 2. I'm calling cat 5. Look at those look at the temperatures of that water. Look at where it is going and just we, think about We called it. cat 5 with sustained winds of 180 miles per hour Ever with and a storm surge of at least 15 20 feet and that's what it kind of done in the Bahamas. Exactly. The Bahamas are leveled. <laughs> <laughs> the thing leveled the Bahamas. And it was exactly what we called. It, parked, and we were like, it sat wow. and parked over it, it because there was two high-pressure systems not allowing it to move anywhere. Yeah, it would just stalled out. It stalled out. And luckily for Very Florida, impressive. that they got this high-pressure system over America that yep. pushed the hurricane to the side. Very lucky. Pushed it up north and wheeled it back out into the Atlantic yep. without causing major damage to the mainland USA. Listen, Florida, you guys were lucky as hell. <laughs> That thing was taking a direct aim at your ass, and you dodged a bullet. Don't think you're going to keep dodging them. And one of the one of the last things, and this is one of the major things I wanted to talk about. So here's where the hurricane talk ties into the fractal exploratorium. Using these hurricane models, if you ever seen looked at the, they they show you these different paths, and they show you this this like this like bubble of where the hurricane's going to go. Some people mistakenly think that's where, like, that's how big the hurricane's going to get. What that bubble shows is the probability of any pass that the hurricane can take. It shows you an envelope of the pass of the hurricane. So what meteorologists actually do is they use chaos theory equations to try to guess where these hurricanes are going to go. And Mm I was reading articles because I've been so into fractals and chaos theory. I wanted to know if there was a way that we could possibly start to guess with the innumerable amount of variables and with hurricanes being a complex dynamic system, if we could start accurately guessing where... (laughs) (laughs) He's doing it. He's so doing it right now. Yeah, Dylan's getting bad just listening to this shit. Well, he's listening and you're also doing the thing that you're just like speaking mad speak. (laughs) <laughs> no one knows what you're talking about right now. Well, I'll, try to, I'll, well, I'll, I'll we try to make it more simple. If if, if you look at a a complex dynamic system, a hurricane get it. is is driven by initial conditions and different variables. So you got variables like high pressure systems. You have variables such as wind shear. You have driving forces. You have ocean currents, ocean temperature, Coriolis effect. You have all these things that are driving a hurricane and deciding where these hurricanes go so that's why when you look it's so wildly unpredictable what these things will do yeah the spaghetti models is that that's exactly what i'm talking about showing you the probable path that these things to go are ridiculous because some of them take it completely on a different course and that's the thing is they're unpredictable because they're a complex dynamic system with unpredictable chaotic variables Yeah. You know, chaotic outcomes. Yeah. So uh, there are good examples, but something I always say, it's like having a million dice with a million numbers on it yeah. and rolling Just it and roll trying it. to guess what the number is going to be. 
Well, exactly. Well, you can run the math, the chaos theory, and run the equations, and you can start seeing what the probable outcome of those rolls are going to be based upon initial conditions. Yeah. So it's based upon how you roll it, the surface you're rolling it on, and like the shape of the die. Those are things that we know. Those are initial conditions we already can guess. So we can factor in things like ocean temperature, ocean currents, and high pressure systems. We can factor that into the model and try to get you know, a depiction of what the probable probable yeah. path of it'll be. But the thing is, and it changes. It's hard to guess the probable path because there's so many different variables exactly. that you could wildly Not unpredict. You know, yeah. the, they're wildly unpredictable at this point in time, and that's why I'm thinking with the advent of quantum computing, the ability to compute larger and larger amount of variables, it might be possible to start more accurately guessing where these things would be and it's you know super what? important we do this because an accurate guess of where this could be could really tell people if they should evacuate absolutely if they should board and up you know well and still and they but they did a great job with this um they were on top of it from like the start not with i'm not gonna say with its strength but they knew where at least it was going to go for enough the where they part. could give three days warning. Exactly, and that's that's three, that's days. that's huge because and this thing was slow. When you think about the logistics of an evacuation, you it's really difficult. Think about just going yeah, to work in the morning. How yeah, clogged you, up the freeway is. Yeah, oh yeah. Imagine a mandatory evacuation of an entire region. Like Everyone luck. trying to rush and get out of there. Oh, man, with their belongings you know, and yeah, exactly. And, 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 and the thing across is, the coast. And and the thing is, I think it's important to build our architecture around this chaotic Absolutely. equation. Be able to design a building that could either withstand a hurricane or that is adaptable enough to not be built in where the hurricane's yeah. paths are going to go. Because exactly. we already pretty much know where these things are going to hit and they, they don't they don't deviate too wildly outside of it. But No, but they do sometimes change a course. But with an ever-changing climate, it's getting harder and harder to yep. guess where these things can hit. They're going to move farther up north. They're going to become more powerful, yes. and they're going to become more frequent. And they Let, will. Let's change the conversation a little bit. I heard there was a legitimate, no joke, real tornado in Arizona recently. Well, it didn't there's, touch down. there's been some before in history. It didn't yeah. touch down. There's been a few in history, but I feel like this is very, very, very rare. So I heard that a legitimate tornado touched down in Arizona. Well, so talk to me about why this happened. And well, the, I mean, it the, never happens. Here. Okay, well, it, it it can happen anywhere that there's a supercell. So that's yeah, a exactly. a thunderhead. If you ever see those big clouds that are coming in in the background, and they have that curvature to it, and this little top hat, if they have a little dome over the top of these. Then they're supercells. They're they're thunderheads that are powerful enough to have updrafts, a, a tornado, and the in the, yeah, and these updrafts. And they're typically when two uh, cold front and a, a warm front meet each other, mm-hmm. and they start sliding past each other. You start getting these vertices that are inside of it. A lot of unstable air. And this, the, I mean, it can happen almost almost anywhere. Nick. I mean, it just they really happened. happens here because we don't have powerful enough supercells. It's not the same thing as a microburst, right? No, 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 no absolutely no, no, different. No, no, no. no. There we did a lot of microburst, a ton, and they and they happened from the our, biggest uh, microburst I remember was at your house in high school. 
Yeah, I through the trash tra- can. Through yeah. the trash cans in the air. Trash, I, walked, oh, I remember trash cans just being like... Microbursts are scared. Because it's, it's whooshing, boy. it's cold air it's is being down pressed down planes, super you know? quickly. And it presses all the other air and creates these little vertices on the That's side. That's a good point. It could take down planes, They right? do. Yeah, they have. Really? Yeah, I think it was in Texas. Texas. How yeah, do you te- know? How do Texas. you know like when wow. that's gonna happen or do you just not? You don't. <laughs> Mostly yeah, like storms, um, obviously. No, but okay, okay. Here, here's the thing. It did happen where it slammed you know, it brought a plane up and then slammed it down into the tarmac when it was trying to land. So planes I, I mean Killed they won't everybody. affect planes that are higher. It's only when a plane's trying to land and at that exact moment a microburst hit. Yeah, and they should have known better to be landing in that kind of weather. No matter what. Exactly. You shouldn't and be screwing around when there's storms like that. When there's a thunderstorm airport. You're supposed to divert yeah. away from, yeah. from that. And you know, the the FAA's put regulations on when you should or shouldn't land. But, you know, I should also Dylan, another thing, though, is that they created a weather-detecting device in the nose of the plane so it's able to see what kind of mm-hmm. wind formations there are and what kind okay. of uh, you know things yeah. lead up to a microburst. And if those things are present, then you Very either do, you know, you, you do a go-around. Yeah. You go around, you try to land again until the conditions change, or you divert to another airport. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, back to the tornado thing. We've had um, in Belmont, I remember back in like 2010 or 9 or 10, I can't remember. There was a, yeah, I think it was just an EF0 um, tornado. EF0. Yeah, that went went up through Prescott um, and landed up in <laughs> near Belmont, here in Arizona, west of Flagstaff, and it wrecked up a lot of shit. It tore down, it tore down a couple parts of homes. And it was one of the, it's the strongest tornado in Arizona. Um, so this happened in New River, the one Nitz talking about. Oh, there's one in New River. Is there, is it an actual funnel? Is there an actual touchdown? Yep, New River. My uncle lives in New River, which is why we originally found Small out about it. Small tornado touches they, down north of Flatstaff is what they're saying. That was in Belmont, the one. So I mean, we get them. We see we have we have pretty powerful thunderstorms every once in a while. We're, and sure, yeah, we can get tornadoes. It's I not mean, impossible. almost almost anywhere can actually get tornadoes. Exactly. But, but you know, typically they're they're a little warmer places where you could get a warm front and a cold yeah. front that are meeting each other. Yeah, but we never get anything that's real serious. We'll we'll never see anything EF two or bigger. We haven't. Uh, my my girlfriend actually saw the most powerful hurricane ever recorded on record: the El Reno tornado yes. in Oklahoma. Oof, oof. She actually saw it. It that was an was EF five that killed a lot of storm chasers. They didn't know they were in it. It was such a wide vortex funnel that there was multiple vortices inside of it. They didn't realize they were actually in the tornado and they got thrown in the air. It's horrible. So one of the one of the one of the worst tornadoes on record. It just looks how like a you, rain band. You don't know. It looks like you're just in rain. How do you wind. not know? It's so because big. It's, it's, mile it's wide. like two miles wide. Yeah. EF five could be two a mile miles? to two miles wide. That's a long. Dude, EF five could throw a freight train off the track. <laughs> like they it's can do serious anything. business. Three hundred fifty like, mile per hour winds. This is stronger than any Cat Five hurricane you can even muster up. Except for the fact that Cat Five hurricanes can have tornadoes within the hurricane. They can. <laughs> Another interesting fun Mostly fact about tornadoes spouts. is that they can occur in hurricanes also. Oh well, yeah, and um, typically the northeastern sector yeah. of the hurricane, where the strongest wind gusts are. Yeah. 
Very dangerous. Very dangerous. Because the thing is, the, these tornadoes are usually rain-wrapped. And where yeah. it's where you don't know if you're in it or if you're in a lot of wind and in rain. Exactly. You think you're far away from it, but next thing you know, you're in it. So that's another way, Nick, that you cannot realize that you're inside a tornado. Rain-wrapped. So you, you can't you, tell that's why the you don't go screw. Well, if you ever driven down the road and it's raining so hard you can't see the damn road. Yeah. Yeah, I've been in snowstorms yeah. where now, I, <laughs> I tell people that the worst snowstorm that I was in was going up to Flagstaff at nighttime, and I didn't oh, think I was going to hit the, hit the snowstorm. But so at nighttime, snow is so much worse because I don't know if you guys have ever been seen Star Wars, but I mean everybody pretty much has. <laughs> but people listening, I don't know if you've ever seen Star Wars, but when you go into hyperspeed and you see all those like little lines coming that's at exactly you, what it looks that's like. what it looks like when you're driving through snow at yep. night and it is cruising through outer scary. space it's dude like, i almost ooh. i was white knuckles sweating oh, thought yeah. i was gonna die like dude many nights snow on my journeys is like that. scary water <laughs> is scary hydroplaning on water Anything in normal rain conditions is weather. scary weather is scary weather's and that's real the, man that's what weather's real and you know what awesome. nature's real when you go to montana when you go to big sky montana oh, like when i went to go snowboard in big sky now. you don't realize that you are going to be going into real nature this is just pussy nature here <laughs> arizona people talk about how great arizona is for nature people talk about how arizona is this you know we have all these hiking trails and all these serious camping things Arizona is nothing compared to Montana. Well, it used to be. We well, are we are a shell of what real nature is and going to places where shit really happens is just unbelievable. Today, and Dylan's showing me a picture of today in Big Sky Montana that I'm talking about now just by coincidence. <laughs> we didn't talk about this today. A foot of snow. I mean, yeah, wow. That's real. Well, na- you know, nature, that's not just hydroplaning down to 51. That's, that's real. Whether in nature or humbling, they're, they're, they, they, are they really humble humbling. you to the arrogance of yeah. humanity. Yeah. And We're, when you're in it, you're 100%. like, whoa, I'm not that powerful. I don't, I can't do 100%. much. I have all this technology and everything, and I think I'm the shit back at home, but man, weather's, like you said, it's, it's the real deal out there. 100%. I mean, think about this. I went camping last year with a couple of friends his name is george you guys know who he is so i'm just gonna say the name out loud so you guys understand who the story's surrounding and i went with another kid named birdo who was actually in our band and all three of us know him very well uh george birdo and i went camping and we went to this place called the edge of the world and it's very very windy it's up by flagstaff arizona sort of sedona arizona and uh it was crazy because there was like a no fire ban at that time and even if there's no no fire ban every once in a while you're kind of gonna go for it but even at this time it's so windy at the edge of the world it's called the edge of the world and it really feels like it sedona probably you've seen the signs for it driving up the flat staff it's it's oh yeah it's (laughs) unbelievable and but it's very windy up there it's very it's a plateau when when we went plateaus when we went, we bought all meat to go eat up there. And we had all these plans. We had, like, chicken. We had ground beef. We had all this stuff. And George and I had bought 
grills. Like not grills like uh Coleman grills, but we bought like, like my grill. Little tiny like um like a like a stove. We bought my stoves. Jesus. We each bought stoves. So we had two stoves that you could put, you know, each I still use them to this day. I use them camping this this year so many times. We, you know, one stove, two stove. So we get there. We have nothing but meat, nothing but pancake mix, meat, all these things that include heat. George and I thought we were so cool buying these little stoves. We thought they were. We had so many propane tanks, like the Coleman big propane tanks that everybody has. Turns out we need butane, not propane. So we had <laughs> like four coleman big green propane tanks that everybody's thinking of like everybody that's listening to me speak right now is thinking of the exact green coleman propane tank that you know i'm talking about we needed little tiny different butane tanks which i still use to this day i mean i didn't know at the time so we get there we have no way to cook we had for three days chicken ground beef waffles bacon like everything that we brought was based around the fact that we had these things to cook with what i'm getting at and i promise it's coming all the way back around is that nature humbles you sometimes because the second that we had all of that shit out there on that windy plateau where there was a fire restriction and like we're trying not to be bad people and especially because it's super windy and dry so we could easily start a fire it was we could have easily started a fire up there a forest fire you know that that's humbling because like all of the food that we brought we couldn't even use and we were so far away from home we were in the desert you know not desert sorry the the forest and so we ended up luckily that night finding a uh another couple just down the road and they were the only couple up there i mean we went in a in a time that there was not a lot of people up there it was really you know not dense there wasn't a lot of stuff going on so it was just crazy like we went up there at a time when we were humbled by nature by the fact that we couldn't cook our food. Mm. We had nothing to cook. We just had to find another couple down the street that had a fucking grill that we could cook everything on for the whole trip. So I don't know. We're 65 minutes in, so it's you know it's getting a bit deep, but I think nature is humbling, and that is well, for sure. True. Well, it is. And uh, next episode, I have a fun fact about how nature is humbling. Do we ride? <laughs> Anyways. So, Dill, well, we got to talk about hurricanes. We yeah. talked about Alaska. Uh, the ocean is heavily <laughs> influenced by the ocean conversation. Yes, we got but, to like, uh, talk a lot about things. Which is great because, you know, the ocean is a complex dynamic system and it uh, has fractals in its own. Snow yeah. is, is snowflakes are a fractal. They so, are beautiful fractals. Uh, we, we can, you know, next time, Dill, we'll probably have you on again uh, to talk about snow. Yeah, yeah, he's practically a co-host now. Well, yeah, <laughs> I basically am. Now that he's back, it's just going to be like Dylan, Nick, and DJ every single Dylan podcast. Dylan, Nick, DJ <laughs> podcast. We are going to have a lot of fun and look forward to it. Well, we There's going to be a lot, lot more stories coming about. up. Yeah, we got a lot more stories, a lot more great stories. A lot of fun uh, We got talked about how we were on a band, too. Yes. Uh, that's one of the topics we're we going to have to cover. We just started a band. We need a name. We're not oh, going to do that man. now. All right. <laughs> Let's end this. All right. Yeah. Well, Dill, thanks for coming on again. Absolutely. I'll uh, hopefully join you guys soon. Thanks for joining, everybody, and we will see you next week on the Fractal Exploratorium. Maybe not next week, but whenever DJ releases these. Have a good night. Thank you guys for joining us today. If you want or have any questions or comments, you can email me at fractalexploratorium at gmail.com. 
You can also follow us on Instagram with the handle at Fractal Exploratorium. I want everybody to have a nice rest of your day or night. Thank you.